Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Talking about chicken a la king, mango and garbanzo tabbouleh, real potatoes and vegetables, with roasted garlic and basil, zucchini ziti, granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Hi everyone, welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. I am very excited about my guest today. Her name is Larissa Zimbaroff. She is the authority on food technology, where it is now, where it's headed, all that weird Mark Zuckerberg hamburgers you're having. She knows all about them. Uh, she is a journalist, she's an author, and her new book, Technically Food, uh, I'm reading it, it's fascinating. If you care about this space, you should get into it. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Larissa. Dan, thank you for having me and being willing to eat some crazy stuff for me. Yeah, I will say this is a, you're a different kind of guest on the podcast. We usually have comedians and actors and this and that. And you reached out to me and I'll tell you nine times out of 10, when people reach out to us to be on the podcast, we say no, but I'm so fascinated by this space and I know so little about it. And I was like, oh, this could be really, really fun. Awesome. Awesome. Um, thanks for being interested. Okay. So before we get into this fascination that I have with all these weird new, so, uh, you know, let's call them, I don't know, Silicon Valley foods. Let's get into your fridge. You guys can see Larissa's fridge on my Instagram at standupdan. So <laughs> here we go, Larissa. Here is your fridge. And what I am gathering from this fridge is that the more you get into these weird techno foods, the more wine you need to be drinking <laughs> to, to, to wash it all down. <laughs> your, your, your fridge is 50% wine. This is like, I'm in love. <laughs> I took the photo and I was like, oh gosh, there is a lot of wine in here. Um, what's in here with wine is there's, a, there's one that's alcohol removed. So I think that's a little bit interesting. Um, I used to have one that was no longer uh, made from grapes. So it was just ethanol and uh, chemical flavorings. Interesting. So why do you have one that has the alcohol removed? 
there are so many coming out these days that I really wanted to see how they how they tasted. So far, uh, the the reviews are white isn't bad, red is terrible. Really? Yeah. I you know I did dry January, so I was looking for a bunch of alcohol substitutes. I didn't get into the wines, but I didn't even know it was a space. And then you know I I read like alcohol free wine, and I was like, oh, I think that's grape juice. And they're like, no, it's different. How is it different <laughs> from grape juice? Um, they are making the wine. And then they're removing the alcohol. So with grape juice, you're just sort of, um, you're not giving it a chance to ferment with a specific yeast to make, uh, to turn into alcohol, to turn into wine. So they are letting it go all that way to fermentation, to alcohol, but then they're removing the alcohol. Are they just boiling it off? You know, that's a great question, Dan. And I can't answer that. I don't know. I don't know. In kombucha, which also has a higher alcohol uh, rate, they spin it out sometimes with like really interesting sort of chemistry lab tools. Oh, weird. Like they centrifuge the booze out? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, at the top shelf on the right is a can of um, athletic brewing beer, which is also alcohol removed. I find beer to be the best uh, drink that's uh, no alcohol so far. The most, most successful. Wait, where am I looking? Top right top on the right. shelf in the door. Oh, in the door. Okay, got it. Yeah. It, you know, that was another thing that I that I basically was, I was going down that rabbit hole during dry January as well. And the weirdest one that I found was the Sapporo one. I don't know if you tried that one. Yes, zero calorie. Zero calories, it blew my mind because the the thing with these, the non-alcoholic beers is like they have just as many calories as like a regular beer. Exactly. <laughs> this one had zero, so it's more like a beer flavored LaCroix, I guess. Yes, that's a good an- analogy. Actually, I've been told that the Asahi uh, low cal, z- zero calorie is better than the Sapporo, but I haven't found it yet. Wow, yeah, it's, so it's, a, it's an interesting new space. And then you have a lot of the foods here that I think we're probably going to get into during our talk because I'm seeing some labels here. You sent me a bunch of food, which I can't wait to try. I haven't tried it yet. We're going to try it live on the podcast. Awesome. But so let's get into this. I will tell you, I'm getting into this as a huge skeptic. I, I feel like our country especially is very, very apt to get into crazy food fads, right? And we'll get into something like... I was reading your book and the th- and the and the the claims that I'm hearing about these foods are are probably like I was like this is probably what it sounded like when margarine came out or when Crisco crank came out and they were like oh this is the hot new thing it's going to be good for you and tasty and all these things so I'm always like a little bit dubious so am I right to be a little dubious or not You should be dubious but you should also know that most of them are not saying it's it's good for you. Most of them are saying it's good for the planet. Right. It's an interesting pivot. It's a very interesting pivot. Yeah. And I wrote the book because I wanted to say like, hey, do we know if these are any good for us? And let me find out. So the book hopefully gets you to that answer. I mean, here's the thing. It's like, I, I, well, what is your, what is your, what is your conclusion? You think they're all good for us? You think they're all? They are not all good, Dan. Um, (laughs) That's the conclusion. And (laughs) You know, we're all different, right? We're all little snowflakes. We're all special flowers, right? We all, our bodies all need something different and have different needs and expectations. It doesn't go beyond as far as healthy whole foods is always the best, right? Right. Something that hasn't been deconstructed, fractionated, spun apart, um, split from its atoms. You know, those are the foods that are best for you because your body is going to do the work. I actually tell people not to have smoothies because smoothies have been blended up, right? You digest them fast. You, they just go through you, right? Yeah. But, a, but an apple, your body has to deconstruct that apple and turn it into fiber and to pectin and to 
uh, carbohydrates and nutrients and micronutrients. All that work is good for your body, keeps you full longer. Right. Uh, these new foods are interesting, and there's a place in our diet for them. You know, the the one of the products I told you to get was just eggs, which are made from mung bean protein isolate. I got it right here. There they are. So. I eat these because 98% of chicken eggs are raised in factory farms, right? It's a number that makes me pretty sad. So when I want eggs, which is, you know, here and there, I'll make those mung bean eggs. Now they might not be a hundred percent nutritionally approximate, the same. They're good. They're tasty. So here and there, this stuff I think has a place in our diet, um, especially because it means that we can um, impact the planet less. And that is part of our, you know, sort of our pact with the world is that we we also need to do better by the planet. I mean, my question is, is this going to are we going to see, you know, how it's like people are obsessed with electric cars, but also there's like strip mining that goes into making the batteries. You know what I mean? So it's like, is this the same type of thing where you're going to find like, oh, well, farming all that algae actually, you know, has a downside or, you know, eating mushrooms for everything. <laughs> Why not? Be- I think you, I think you have a good point. I, I drive an electric car and I love it. And then I and I use an iPhone and I love it. But I do think about sometimes the things that I don't see that are that are involved in making them come to life. I think that unlike in the Industrial Revolution, when foods like the 70s foods came to be right, Velveeta, Wonder Bread, like kind of the foods that we later in life snack wells, right? We later in life said, oh, those are terrible for you. Um, Now we're sort of getting to that answer quicker. Like if something is good or bad or what the damage is to the planet. Um, I think that it's pretty exciting to be here with all of these possibilities and that people are digging into each one to see um, how they will be for us or how they will be for the planet. I do also think we are beta testers uh, and we don't truly know um, what their impact are is or will be. And we wouldn't know for 10 to 20 years. It's sort of like the vaccine. Sometimes you have to take the risk. Yeah. It's so, you know, it's funny. I still remember the first time I had an impossible burger and I was so weirded out because I hadn't read about it. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, this is a burger. This tastes like a weird burger, but it's some burger. And then I started reading about it, and I'm seeing on the ingredient lists of, of some of the foods that you sent me to, like, they always have these words that seem like made-up words. <laughs> like, and the one that, like, threw me off was heme. Heme was, like, they were like, oh, this is a plant. It's, like, a plant-derived hemoglobin called heme. And I was like, I went to Johns Hopkins and studied pre-med. I never fucking, <laughs> I never heard about heme. I don't know if that's, like... Is there just like a lot of smoke and mirrors going on uh, within this stuff too? There, there, there's smoke and mirrors in that it's hidden behind intellectual property or it's hidden behind um, uh, proprietary secrets or recipes, right. right? So heme, actually, since you're pre-med, you should know about because it's in our blood, right? Heme yeah. is in animal blood. Heme is also found in plants. So impossible. The founder, impossible, uh, Pat Brown, who's the also a scientist, like a well-respected Stanford scientist, you know, discovered that heme is, you know, potentially what's giving us the flavor catalyst for um, iron or for beef. And that it can also be a coloring, colorant change. I don't want to get too technical because I don't want to lose all your like comedy fans out there. No, no, no. Don't worry about the comedy (laughs) fans. They they need a break. This is like fascinating stuff. Okay, good. So, um, you know, Yes, I think there are smoke and mirrors, but also like our food has been created in labs for decades upon decades, right? People have been, um, you know, 
tinkering with like what we eat forever, you know, Kellogg's cereal or, you know, like making sure cereal stays crunchy, which sometimes means more sugar, right. To keep you the crunch or to get that, that just that right, um, meld when the milk goes in and doesn't like soften too quickly. Like, like they've, they've, they've engineered those things for so long. So this, this engineering isn't new. It just is getting more complicated. And also, um, we are being told more. We're we're being told less and also told more. Yeah, it's look, it's 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 interesting. I I think you know. So I read Omnivore's Dilemma probably around the same time you did, right? And it changed the way that I started to eat. And this to me, this movement seems like sort of a a little bit of an overcorrection, maybe, where it's like, well, rather than rather than going back to maybe decentralized farming, let's call it. Let's just let's just you know. It just seems so like Palo Alto-y. It just, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it just seems like so like we're just going to disrupt the food. It's like, may- well, some things don't need to get disrupted. Maybe some things need to go back to their basics. You know, that's funny that you say that because Dan Barber, who's a chef in New York, he kind of says this, right? We, ha- we-, we have the food that works, right? And we have uh, signs that tell us when food is working, it's flavor. Um, so what I advocate for is, is a hybrid solution, right? We have technology, technological innovation, but we also go back to the roots and we also work harder on those things, the soil, the land, seeds, farming, right? We have to figure out all these new foods depend upon farming. They depend upon crops to uh, be nutrients. Um, So if we forget about the land, if we forget about farming, then we've really given up. And so I think we just need more more of that Palo Alto money needs to go towards what we know now, um, just as much as what's going to the new innovative products. Right. It's it's funny. I guess for me, it's just like whenever Palo Alto puts their hands into something, it's it's almost so passionless. And food to me is such a passionate thing that and and for if you them, met Pat Brown, you'd see passion. He's got like they're like fervent, right? They're like they've got a fervor to them. They're they're sort of zealots, right? I call them a zealot in my book. I I mean they are like they all just want to you know they're like vegans and they want to change the world and they want to make their mark. They are like so passionate, which is a surprise, you know. And it could be you know you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg as being part of this movement, and he's not really, but it could be that. Facebook slash Meta um, gave everybody the idea that there were other places to innovate that people are more excited about, right? Right. We are all more excited about food. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I guess my my thing is I I'm more excited for food that comes from people who are passionate about food tasting good, not necessarily about saving the world. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. But- agreed. <laughs> Some of us may be weirded out by the thought of these new fake foods, but we've actually been eating them for longer than you may think. A CBC Marketplace investigation found that your favorite fast food piece of chicken doesn't contain only chicken. According to the study, a piece of unseasoned chicken you buy at the store should contain 100% chicken DNA, but tests of grilled chicken from McDonald's, Wendy's, and Subway showed much lower levels of chicken DNA. In addition, what appears as a simple piece of chicken might have more than a dozen non-chicken ingredients, including sugar, soy protein, and apparently yoga mats if you're Subway. So I made these eggs, the just egg, which is, I guess, mung bean based. And it's very weird. It like it it cooks almost like a pancake. It felt pancakey. Did you scramble did you scramble it? Yeah, I did. I scrambled okay. it. Okay. Butter? Did you put butter in the pan? I put olive oil. Okay. Okay. 
Keep it plant-based. I'm keeping it plant-based. I'm going a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not it, it's not bad. Just for the viewers, for the listeners, uh, Dan is eating with chopsticks. <laughs> I am eating with chopsticks. <laughs> no, because I always scrambled egg, scrambled eggs with chopsticks. <laughs> As you should. It's a, it's As a you should. It's a lot easier. It tastes good. It's funny though. I feel like if I were told this is a bean scramble thing rather than like this is an egg, it's a fake egg, then I would enjoy it more. I think it's for me the anchoring that bothers me. Like the oh, it's fake bacon or it's fake steak or it's fake this. Like why why can't it just be its own thing? Is it just for marketing and just to kind of wean people off? I love that you brought that up because we're in this like future food 1.0, which is that everybody has to be like a simulacra, an analog to something that we know. And that is how they're going to replace what we know, right? They have to figure out what the bacon is going to be or the eggs are going to be. It would be better if it was just a mung bean fluff, right? Right, fluff, right. Fluffy scramble, right? Um, a liquid fluff, right? It could, it could be anything, right? Um, that's going to be 2.0 or 3.0. Like another right. generation is going to take us to these like places we can't envision now. And I think those are going to be healthier um, and even better for the planet. I think right now we're sort of stuck in the like hamburger, chicken nugget, yes. bacon, Egg, egg world. And when we get past that, um, we'll be to something more interesting. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to get into some of the, speaking of which, I'm going to get into some of these. <sighs> the deli meats. meats. The, the deli meats. deli meats that you sent me. Okay. So tell me what Koji is because these are all based, these are all Koji based. Yes. So this is, a, so this is a company called Prime Roots. They're in Berkeley, California, and they're uh, fermenting Koji. And Dan, you're going to love Koji because Koji makes soy sauce. Koji makes miso. Koji makes uh, uh, tofu into soy. So Koji, is um it's a fungus that is a like mycelium mycelium mm -hmm. is the underground root structure under mushrooms mushrooms are the fruiting bodies and they can um put the spores onto grains of any sort to grow something to grow something interesting i think do you have turkey or ham okay i have the i have the turkey right now okay the cracked okay. black turkey and it looks like <laughs> i mean it looks turkey-ish and it even has like the black pepper on the outside so it has that kind of uh deli meat thing going on I mean, I think that the ham looks surprisingly like bologna, which I actually kind of appreciated. It's weird though, because it smells fermented. Okay. It's got yeah. like, it's got that fungusy kind of funkiness, which I love funk, so I'm okay with that. But it's just strange to associate with turkey. Okay, I'm gonna eat it now. You might want to have mustard too. Might have might, mustard might be good too. I mean, it's not it's not bad. It's weird. It's kind of it tastes like it tastes it. It definitely tastes soy saucy, mushroomy. Yeah, um, I find that most people can still get that sort of mushroom mycelium. I have a low bar, right? So when I had Prime Roots makes a bacon, and when I had their bacon, the first draft of their bacon was not very good. Their second, second and third versions have gotten much, much better, and they're they're chewy, they're smoky, and I don't need it to taste just like pork, right? right? Bacon. And so like you're eating this deli meat, which is really, I mean, come on. Oh for my it to... God. This is wild. The salami looks <laughs> salami. like fucking salami. The salami is my favorite by it far. It has I, like I, the little, the little fat specks. Yep. Specks. Oh yes. So good. I, that was, wow. I asked them to send that one to you because that was my favorite. Oh yeah. That's really good. It's great. Right. I mean, yeah, it's not as fatty. It's not as ch ch densely chewy, but it's like, it's very satisfying. Satisfying. But it, yeah, and you know what? Again, it's a, it's the type of thing where, for some reason, if if this had if this was on its own, just a thing, like a koji, a, 
<laughs> I don't know. If it, if it didn't have the anchor and salami, this would be great. I mean, I don't see why, yeah. Like, especially if you're trying to eat less meat. I guess my question is, like, when you compare this to other processed foods, how processed is it? Um, just be- as processed, processed as tofu or tempeh. I Probably like tempeh. You know, um, they're fermenting grains to make this 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 eventual thing, right, that takes time to to, to come into like a solid and then you know they've got they've got a deli slicer <laughs> in their like warehouse right that they're so using wild. to slice it um but imagine that salami on a french baguette with a lot of butter oh yeah and some brie oh yeah no if you if you put a couple things in there to mask it it would be it, it, it would it would fit in pretty well yeah but i agree that uh, a koji charcuterie without right. another word right. would be great would be great okay i'm going in for the ham now Oh, good. Which is good. This is like guilt-free Jewish ham. <laughs> kosher ham. For all the kosher, all the kosher hams out there. Yeah. I think that one has the best chew. Well, it's the consistency of like mortadella. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking weird. This really weirds me out. <laughs> it's very, very weird. Not bad and not not like, oh my God, I'm craving this. I never want to have, you know, ham again. But like I want to give this to my brother who's still kosher to be like. This is the closest you'll get. That's great. I think, That's you know, so weird eating things alone. I think often like like at, you can get a breakfast sandwich at a few places up in the Bay Area where I live, Actually, maybe down south too, where you are. But it's got Beyond Meat breakfast sausage. It's got Follow Your Heart cheese. It's got a, the Just Egg and it's on an English muffin and it is and they serve it with Tapatio hot sauce. Yeah. Man, it's delicious, right? I mean, you just give me that like package um and you're gonna be happy i mean okay i'm i'm i i will say i'm surprised that i like this more than i thought i would i was excited to, <laughs> to oh you want to cut this. it down <laughs> yeah i mean the meats are fascinating it yeah. really weirds me out and i guess and i've tried all the sliced meat out there and it's not good Dan. oh really yeah so this is this is really like kind of leapt ahead Especially the salami, especially the salami. So this has less, it, it, it's probably less processed than like a, a boar's head E type. Oh, any of the processed deli meats, this is this is a better choice by far. Really? Oh, yeah. Because they're using cheap industrial agriculture animals. Right. They're putting lots of salt and, uh, you know, nitrates and, um, you know, kind of lactic acid, kind of like all kinds of like, you know, curing agents. Um, and you don't know the provenance. You don't know any of it. Yeah. So- I mean, okay, let's, I'm, I want to go through your book because you've split up the chapters in really interesting ways, which is algae, fungus, pea protein, milk and eggs, upcycling, plant-based burgers, vertical farms, and cell-based meats. I was reading the pea protein chapter and I tried pea, I, pea protein grosses me out, which I, <laughs> I love to read that it grosses a lot of people out. I was like, oh, cool. I'm not alone. Uh-huh. Is that gonna, is that here to stay or is that? It's, it's, it's a supply chain that is, so soy and wheat are the straw and potato are sort of the the easiest, biggest, most long-term supply chains that we have for our yeah. food, for our food system. But pea is really coming up there and it is, it is easy to grow in many different places. But I've talked to some scientists who tell me that chickpea is actually higher in protein and a better, a better protein solution um, with less of that bad flavoring. And damn that bad, the flavor you don't like is generally from the, the, the outing, the outer color or the outer skin oh, interesting. Um, that you're getting that vegetal taste from. Yeah. So, um, chickpea I'm told has less of that, that, that unpleasant flavor. Mm. So 
I think pea protein is here to stay because it already like it, it's it's sort of growing, right? So we that supply chain once you once you're attached to that supply chain again back to soy and wheat, it's hard to shake free from it. Right. Um, we've got this war in Ukraine going on, which is threatening some of the wheat supply, and so you know maybe there's some opportunity. I think what I'd love to see in the in innovation coming from food tech is better biodiversity. So even more proteins. So like lupin or uh, fava bean, or, you know, just other more and more options of protein sources instead of just make one and grow a giant. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, look, at the very least, this is very good for in case of emergency like break glass. Like you're talking about Ukraine, like like yeah. the you know the there's going to be a, a worldwide grain shortage probably because of it. So um, I see the opportunity there for like just just basic survival. Um, is there how far are we from like lab grown stuff? That's the actual stuff, like lab grown meat. That's that's actually actually meat that. I'm assuming they use the actual cells and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. 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 They're taking a biopsy from an animal and then they're growing those cells. And so the animal gets to walk away and say, thanks for playing. Um, And the cells are, you know, grown until they find like the right cell lines that they want to keep using. Right. Have you tried any of those? Yeah. I've tried, I've tried chicken at a few places Um, and I've tried Wagyu and bison and lamb. Okay. Tell me everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you can, if you're in Singapore, you can order some chicken nuggets that are like 80% cell-based and 20% plant-based. Mm-hmm. It's, that is the only place so far that cultured meat is approved for sale. Wow. I know that there are companies in the U.S. that are very confident that the approval will come. And the approval is going to have to come from both the FDA and the USDA. It's a collaboration on the pro- on the process. So there's a location for anybody in the Bay Area called Upside Foods that actually just opened their, their facility to public tours. So Dan, I mean, I love going on food tours, like the Jelly Belly tour or the Blue, Blue Diamond Almond tour, right? You can go, you can go to Upside Foods and get a tour of their facility. Now it's a pilot facility that's just been built to get this regulatory approval, which I hope is not steamrolled through, right? I want it to take time. I want it to take more time than these companies want, but it could be soon. However, it will be a very long time before you see it in the market anywhere. It'll, it'll be like an elite thing for a very long time. Really? Um, Dominique Crenn, she like signed on to serve the the chicken um, from upside foods at her three Michelin star restaurant, Atelier Crenn, but she can't, she can't um, sell it until it's approved. So there's a lot of chatter but there is going, it's going to take a very long time before it comes to market. I think, um, I mean, I, I would say it's 10 years before it's actually in, in the supermarket, wow. but there, a lot has to co- like line up for that to come to, to come to be. I mean, as far yeah. as taste, like the chicken has amazing texture, like the grip and the, like it's, it's, it seems that it's it's very close to the same thing. It didn't have the flavor I wanted, but it had the texture. And so I think texture is harder to get than flavor. Interesting. So it had the texture, but not quite the flavor. Right. So it, it wasn't didn't have that juicy, like, you know, kind of like um, fatty juiciness, but it had yeah. that tug and the fibers, right, that you want. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's going to bring up so many interesting ethical questions, right? Like once they get it that it's uh, you can't tell the difference basically, then it's like what's the point of eating an actual animal if it's exactly the same thing? And th- this is coming from someone who loves eating animals. I'm a hunter, but 
I don't. I it's hard to. It's hard to rationalize that if it's if you literally can't tell the difference. But people fight it now, right? Like people are. It, it, it depends on the price, right? So the, this price is a, is what a lot of right. founders talk about. Is like, how can I get my price down? How right. can I get cheaper? How can I get below industrial animal agriculture? So right. you're right that that why why would you even eat meat? But I mean, we're Americans. <laughs> we, right. We're gonna say that it has to be you know from the I land. Need, I need right? to know someone died. Something died for this burger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, like we're not necessarily like um, you know logical in how we how we think. Right. I think food is very emotional. Well, here's a creepy ethical question. What about human meat? I mean, Soylent Green, that movie is right. which just celebrated a big like I don't know. Uh, many decade um, since it came out, it, what it turned out to be made from humans. Yeah. And famously, there's a product called Soylent that's a meal all in one shake, right? That's not made from humans. But yes, you can. Someone could take a biopsy out of me, and they could <laughs> they could make a very fit and muscular. <laughs> oh my steak. god that is gonna be the most. That's gonna be the ultimate like narcissistic birthday present to yourself. Like I'm gonna eat. <laughs> A Danadute T-bone. <laughs> I mean, it's oh, going to be some celebrity, right? It's going to be, and I'm oh, yeah. sure we could come up with some good ideas. It's 100%. definitely not. It's definitely not going to be me, but um, <laughs> it could. It could be me. Yeah. No, it'll be Pete Davidson for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, right, you could have like a funny piece of meat, right, or like a serious piece of meat. <laughs> oh my god. It's so wild. Um, but but if we talk about nutrition, just because I like to get on my nutrition high horse sometimes. Yeah, please do. We're being told to eat less meat. So yes. I don't I don't get why we would spend so many billions to figure this out, right? Um, but the thing is, is that people won't change, right? Because it's healthy, healthier to right. eat more plants. So they're like, well, you're not going to change. We're just going to give you the same thing, but made differently. So I'm still sort of like in a quandary because I just don't get it. Like I'm just, I, I'm more than happy just to eat more plants. Although I do still have some meat in my diet and right. um, some great cheeses in my diet. And I still use regular butter, but I don't need to. I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's enough alternatives now where if you wanted to get out of that game, you could. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think our market's going to get more complicated. The supermarket is going to become more complicated until somehow it pairs down. Or I'd love to just see our own individual markets, like have a plant-based market and have right. a have an animal market. However, I know you asked why companies were making sort of the same thing. They're, the, like, they're called analogs, like a right. bacon for bacon. Yes. When the just eggs is on the shelf next to the liquid eggs, they right. sell better. They sell oh, better. So when something is next to its 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 analog, it, sell, it performs better. So putting it in a different place doesn't help them. Interesting. Are vegans like anti the... Uh... A lot of the stuff because or not not the actual fake meats, but like taking the culturing of actual animals. And even though there's no harm that went into the making of that meat, are they against that, too? Staunch vegans are against everything, but they're going to the biopsy that they're that is needed. They would say that the animal hasn't consented to that. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, they also, like when I've, when I've approached them to talk about ice cream with non-animal whey protein, um, which is identical to dairy protein, but isn't coming from a cow's milk, they say, I'm confused. I don't get it. This needs more education. I need to understand this better. So they're not necessarily against it. They just want to understand it better. And they 
if they're not super, super staunch, then they're happy that other solutions are kind of coming to market and they just want more solutions coming to market. Yeah. I mean, the super staunch ones, it just seems like they're so utopian and they have like zero Machiavellian inside them. Like, listen, I mean, plant, plants hurt. Plants are hurt when they're cut, right? Plants feel, right? We we can't just say that plants don't feel. They do feel. I'm not co-signing. I'm not co-signing <laughs> this, Larissa. This is entering crazy town. This is entering... <laughs> This is entering this is entering a <gasps> Bay Area crazy town. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, we are in touch with our plants and their feelings, Dan. <laughs> you know it's funny. I did roast vegetables last night and I took them out and they were all they were making this like high-pitched squeal and I was like, "Oh my god, it sounds a little too human." Eggplant? It was, was it eggplant? <laughs> no, it was it was the turnips that really were having a field day. Oh, roasted turnips are so good. I know, they're so good. And artichokes? Yeah. So what in your in your research for your book, like what was the most surprising thing to you? Which one of these foods like really blew you away or which one of these kind of products that that are being turned into food? I'm most excited about eating mycelium as a protein source. Okay, that's what I that's what I had. Exactly. Exactly. So what you what you aren't trying today is like a steak or a chicken um, or some kind of, you know, like thicker treatment of uh, mycelium where it's like, could be like a, a center of plate option, like tofu or tempeh there. It has great texture. It has great macronutrients. Like it's a great nutritional profile. It doesn't need a much processing. So I'm very excited about that whole category. Um, and if I wanted to anchor that, I would say it's something that's based off of it's fungus. Soy or or mushrooms? Is it it's, mushroom? It's it's fungi. Although, so like in the supermarket, the FDA doesn't split hairs between mushrooms and plants, but right. uh, fun, fungi is not a plant, but it is sort of sometimes categorized as a, as a plant. Um, I think to me, mushrooms convey so much health. So because it's from the same, you know, um, organism, I'm 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 kind of all in. There's been a product on the shelf for a very long time called corn, Q U O R N, that's made mm-hmm. from this what they call mycoprotein. So my, myco or mycelium mycoprotein um, is is something that you can buy now that has been made this way for since the 70s. Um, it's it's more a little more like breaded and packaged as like sort of, you know, friendly chicken nuggets and things like that. Yeah. And so I think that we're going to get these really nice options that are like an herbed steak or a fried chicken or, you know, a chicken breast that are like kind of whole cut ideas where you can take your cooking knowledge, your culinary skills, Dan. And I didn't know you were a hunter, your hunting skills to like, you know, killing it in the kitchen and like making it <laughs> delicious. I mean, yeah. and then I, what what are the chances that like 10 years from now, they're gonna be like, oh my God, mycelium is the last thing you want to eat. It just gives you all the cancers, <laughs> all the best cancers. <laughs> all the best cancers. <laughs> well, no. So the back to the corn, back to corn, the product that's on the shelves now, since like they it was discovered in the sixties and this fungus that they're using and, and it's been, um, uh, commercialized since the seventies, nothing's really happened. There's been a couple like gastrointestinal issues sometimes here and there people right. eat too much because yeah. there is uh, something called like mycotoxin, but, um, knowing that our food, you know, even romaine lettuce makes us sick sometimes. Right. Dan, exactly, exactly. Right. Or like tomatoes from Chipotle, like these things happen. Right. Um, <laughs> and, um, mycelium or uh, fungus has been in our diet for a long time, but there are novel ones that have not. Oftentimes, this is why we don't get enough innovation because people for regulatory approval, they don't, they don't want to deal with it. So they might just use something that we've already had in our diet versus going to something new, which 
might make us feel a little safer. Okay, so mycelium is is clearly the most interesting thing. What what to use the most surprising thing? Like what actually shocked you when you when you learned about it? So there are companies that are making protein out of the air. So out of the thin air. But Whoa, it, <laughs> man, my mind is blown. <laughs> I know, I know. I didn't get to try it yet. So I think they're kind of far away, but what? there are companies taking emissions. So like carbon emissions, like from like Chevron. Um, and they're, um, they're have found microbes that will eat the carbon from the, the emissions and turning that carbon into protein. Oh yeah. This sounds super healthy, super healthy. I know, <laughs> I know exactly. But you have to think about it. Like protein is made from these elements, right? All of our food is a chemical element, right? So it does sound terrible and like, I never want to eat this and stay away from me. But on the other hand, you know, we are eating all these like atoms that are already like, you know, kind of swirling around the universe and becoming our food. Um, So that is to me like the kind of the craziest out there outlandish thing. Um, And there's, there's at least a, a handful of companies doing this. Initially, I think it might be fish food for aqua farming, which I think great. Perfect. Feed it to fish. No problem. Yeah. Um, the other sort of, in my, in my opinion, outlandish is 3d printing because it sort of comes and goes this idea of 3d printing that it's like got possibility. Um, uh, an Israeli company called Aleph farms sent a Russian cosmonaut into space with cells, uh, cultured cells to see if they would grow. And their idea is that if they can grow, they can 3d print them. And so this is what they tried. And they sent it up to space to the ISS, the International Space Station, to see if they could grow in, an, in such an inhospitable environment. And they did. Um, so there are more people kind of going down that route. Wait, route. how does that, how do you go from there to 3D printing food? I don't understand. So uh, because the the cells are going to be the medium for the 3D printer. Okay. Right. The, the, usually the 3D printer works in like plastic or sugar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like there's, there's an LA company making desserts out of, you know, sugar that's 3d printed and right. they can do really like fine, you know, precious little, you know, dolls and stuff like that. And so in this case, it would be cultured animal cells coming out of this 3d printer to create like a little thin steak or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. And okay, got it. So the cells are like the ink. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Blood. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I, Okay, I think 3D printing is super outlandish. Just imagine having to 3D print like like 500 steaks for a Whole Foods for a day. I mean, it's just come on. It's just I I just think this this is like nowhere. But people so are definitely still looking into 3D printing as a solution. Wow. Okay, let's get into the questions that I ask uh, every guest towards the end of the podcast. And I'm curious, you know, if uh, if a lot of them influence why you started to do what you did and why you got into what you did. But what is your earliest food memory? My earliest food memory is probably hollow French toast at my grandma's cells in the San Fernando Valley. You know, real thick hollow. She had that plug-in griddle that was like on the countertop, right? Oh, yeah. had a little dial and had like cloth around She was the a pro. Grandma plug. was a pro. Grandma <laughs> knew what she was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's probably my earliest food memory. Um is that that's a great one and that's interesting because usually the jews on the podcast their first food memory is a negative food memory like oh i remember how much i hated sardines <laughs> but no that's a very positive one yeah challah french toast might be the best ashkenazi food invention or <laughs> the ashkenazi so food like like um uh contribution to 
to food. <laughs> okay, let's, so let's let's see. Why would you be on death row for your death row meal? Um, let's say, <laughs> you, you had you had way too much mycelium. It was it gave you a stomach ache. You couldn't take it anymore. You went to the prime roots people, and you just <laughs> you I shot them all down. You kill. You shot them all down, and now okay. you're in death row. Okay. Well, this is going to get you to why I wrote my book when I tell you what I want to eat as my death row meal. So right. uh, I, I have type one diabetes, and in my introduction, I tell you that I've had it since I was twelve, um, and I say that I see through food. So I don't see the the like beautiful donut in front of your face. I see like the mac the mi- macronutrients in it. How much fat carbs, protein, fiber are in that food. And because I look through food, because I have, um, I depend upon knowing exactly what's in my food and how it's going to affect my body because I have to take insulin for what I eat. Yeah. So because I have to do all those, you know, equations in my head, which aren't very easy, let me tell you, um, I, I expect more from food and I know that I, my blood sugar is easier to control when I eat simpler whole foods. Anytime I'm eating packaged junk food or sweets mm-hmm. or sugar, or drinking too much champagne, which also has a lot of sugar in it, mm-hmm. um, my blood sugar goes crazy. If I have too much protein, my blood sugar goes crazy because actually it, the um, protein does turn into carbohydrates, if depending on if your body needs those. Right. So I I bring to food this kind of lens of like this exceptional scrutiny that um, I expect more more both from food makers and from what they're producing. So. My death row meal is all about carbohydrates because if I'm going to die, (laughs) I am going to eat everything I want to eat without having to think about it. So I want a cruller from Daily Provisions in New York. I want a cardamom bun from Canteen in San Francisco. I want uh, beluga caviar and potato chips. And I want just as much hamachi sushi as possible. Um, rice is super high glycemic and I always stay away from it, but it's so good. And yeah, I never, and you're going to die and I, never, anyway. and I never eat it. Right. So I'm going to go out, go to town on rice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Diabetic death row meals are, are, are very funny. So, okay. What is the best high end meal that you've ever had? Definitely. It's my dinner at Stone Barnes. At Dan Barber's yeah. restaurant in You know, that's my that's my best high-end meal I've ever had. I mean, the servers are fun. They're, you know, they're they're playful. The the meal is playful. It's like inventive. It's memorable. Like sometimes when I leave an expensive meal, it's like, what am I remembering? Right. Like, is there something I that's staying with me? And a dinner at Stone Barn stays with me. Yeah, it's an experience. Although I don't think they it's not Stone Barn. It's like he has like guest chefs now. I don't think it's like the same. No, thing no, anymore. it's it's Stone Barn. Oh, it is? He's still doing yeah. it? I think that oh. was just the summer, maybe. Oh, okay, cool. What is the best low end meal that you've ever had? <sighs> this could be a street taco, it could be an impossible uh Frankfurter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh yeah. Here, here we go. Uh I just Taste tested the McPlant burger at McDonald's. Whoa. Yes. It's uh, just launched recently. It's I think it's in about, I don't know, 600 plus locations in the West Coast. And it was a collaboration between McDonald's and Beyond Meat. And I did a TikTok video so you can see it. Um, it's terrible. I wouldn't want to put my name on it. It is the worst plant-based burger I've ever had. Oh, my God. Yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> I know. I feel really bad, but it's so bad. Wait, Beyond Meat is not Impossible Meat, right? That's a different one? Correct. So okay. yeah, they're two different companies, right? 
So Got Beyond it. Meat's pea protein based and Impossible is, you know, soy and potato and so Impossible is one that has the heme in it. Yes. I the one that I had was an imp- I had an Impossible burger at Umami Burger which was delicious. It's one of their top selling burgers. I couldn't believe it. It blew my mind. But then I had an Impossible uh taco somewhere and it was so awful oh it's like it's either it's either really good or just like interesting i think if you overcook that stuff it's just awful i don't know if it's that's what it is or what a lot of these products do have sort of a cooking conundrum that is you can go real terrible with Um, yeah i've heard that their chicken nuggets are incredible and that they taste like too almost too much like chicken um, so I haven't tried them, but I'm curious about them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? I know that you like you like the sauce. You like to drink. I see your fridge. <laughs> what is your favorite drunk food? Uh, salted nuts. Salted nuts. Really? It's a good. It's a good diabetic friendly. Oh yeah. Snack. Yeah. <laughs> or like pork rinds. Yeah. Also fat. It's just fat. Has anyone made those fake? Yes. There's there's one called pig out, and it it's just okay. Although I haven't had the latest version. Yeah. Um, there's also a plant-based. I love cheese. Those cheese crisps, like moon cheese. Have you had moon cheese? Oh my I, gosh. Are those the Parmesan crisps? Yeah. But they're well, but they're plant-based. No, someone's made them as a plant-based version. Okay, got it. And they're terrible. But the yeah. but the real ones, the real ones are delicious. I yeah. love that you're honest with uh, that. That a lot of this <laughs> stuff is really awful because the good stuff. I'll tell you, I'm looking over at this salami and I keep wanting to go back for more, which is uh, good. Good. Which is interesting. Do you have a favorite celebrity food personality? Like uh, this could be like an Anthony Bourdain type or a yeah or a chef or. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I really like Gabrielle Hamilton because she's an, an incredible writer and because like the the work she does at Prune or that she did at Prune was just you know kind of like exceptional. But I, I'm I, with I, you. I like her personality. I like I like her like she's opinionated and she's like got a strong point of view. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. I believe they did a chef's table on her. I don't know if it was chef's table, but one, there was some series that they did on her. It was on, it was a PBS chef series. Oh yeah, it was uh it was David Chang's like he had a thing, a series on it. And they did a whole profile of her. Her restaurant Prune was like my favorite restaurant in New York. It was so good. It was so special. It was so time and place, and it's done now, which is so sad. Um, I know. I live. Her- I lived there for seven years, like just a few blocks away, and um, you know, just yeah, it was a great spot. She's cool. Yeah, I. That's that's a great one, actually. I don't think anyone's ever said her. I actually have her cookbook on my uh, coffee table. Awesome. What is your desert island food? So you're trapped on a desert island. You have one food you can eat for the rest of your life. What is it going to be? And it can be and first. I'm gonna. This is two part. First one is like a normal food, and the second one is like is a Mark Zuckerberg food. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, it's so boring, but green apples. And oh I'm not God. talking Granny Smith apples. I'm talking like something unique, like opal or just a green apple. Green apples tend to be less sweet. Wait a second. I thought green. I thought Granny Smith is the only green apple allowed. <laughs> No. no, there are lots of great other green apples. And are they yeah. all tart-ish? Yeah, they're gen- generally they're tart-ish. They're less sweet. Yeah. Interesting. So I, it was like the first thing that came to mind. Sometimes I'll answer blueberries to that question. Um, you know, I yeah. was trying to come up with something that had, that could be soft and crunchy and hard. So it had different texture possibilities. Yeah. That was a hard one. Okay. And, and a future food that I bring to the island. Um, might be that salami, Dan. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're kindred spirits on the salami. Yeah, that salami yeah. Do, is doing, it, it did something to me. <laughs> that That's the first time that I'm like, oh, I can see a future in this stuff. You're going to dream of future food tonight, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, this is an interesting question. 
you're, and I want I want to relate it to future foods, but your favorite hangover cure is there? Is this a thing that the future food world is trying to tackle? Tackle the hangover? Yes. I don't remember the company, but someone made some kind of like liquid, you know, shot, kind of like that. That what is that? That four hour energy shot. Someone's yeah. working on something like that. Really? Um, yeah. And I that think seems it's just to be the holy grail. If someone can crack the hangover. <laughs> Well, so the hangover you're getting because you don't have enough hydration, right? So you've got the headache because you're, you need too much water to process the alcohol out of your body. So you just need to replace the water and you need to replace the electrolytes and you replace the vitamins like, yes. kind of like instantly, you know, I'm surprised that someone like athletic greens, which I, d- I dispute as to working, but I'm surprised someone like athletic greens hasn't come out with sort of the hangover version of athletic greens. I mean, so is it, is it scientifically impossible to make an alcohol that just doesn't give a hangover? Yeah. It's the alcohol removes stuff, Dan. (laughs) No, that doesn't count. I mean, why can't one of these companies try to do that instead of trying to reproduce a Hold on, you Dan. Know. It's it's one glass of wine to one glass of water. Yeah, one I know what wine, I'm supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm supposed to do. I do that for like the first two glasses. And then after that, it's like, nope, all bets yeah. are off. Yeah. Uh, next question is, is there a food that you can't stand eating? I bet there's a lot of foods you can't stand eating. Asparagus. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It's either too, it's either too fibrous, right? Like it's never... Got it's always cooked too much. Like there's a, it's just there's just like such a window. It has to be too really thin and it can't be cooked a lot. And and then my pea smells. I think I just don't like any of those things. I like I I skew more mushy asparagus than uh, al dente asparagus. Oh, awful, <laughs> awful. <laughs> and what about in terms of the future foods? What's one that you tried that you were like, this is just the most awful heinous thing ever? Um, I might be stumped here, but I'm sure there's something. And I mean, the worst well, thing. I guess is that actually, Mc, the McDonald's one really seemed McDonald's to have had an effect great. on you. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. Um, you know, I, I often have to eat in front of the people that have made these foods. Um, yeah. So that oh. is it. Puts this like p- pressure on foods that is really really challenging. I, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I actually just tried lab made chocolate. So like chocolate that's not made from cocoa which what? i should have i should have sent you this darn it sorry whoa wait why are they doing is is <laughs> why are they trying to do that they're trying to uh climate change you know like yeah. we want more chocolate and we're not going to make like the the rain yield is down or it's too hot or you know farmers are aging out wow. or they're paid super poorly or there's virus there's like all these reasons that chocolate may, may eventually fail and so they're like coming up with the backup now Um, One of the companies, I mean, this is where it makes sense. Like one of the companies made a peanut butter free peanut, peanut butter spread. Uh So, you know, kids could go to school with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. So this is actually like a realistic problem. Like so many people have peanut allergies. So they have just created a spread that's like peanut butter. This sounds interesting to me is this the stuff that's not necessarily a meat substitute, but it's like it's purely an environmental, like if you could figure out a way to crack almonds, because almonds like take up more water than anything else, right? There are people making uh, be- uh, honey, but without bees. No way. What's that like? Oh, it is like, Dan, it's like honey. You Get wouldn't even know. Here. You wouldn't even know. Yeah. How bizarre. That's in my fridge. And is it all processed with a bunch of different weird ingredients? It must, I mean, this can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely out there. It takes some, it's taking some like thinking. I mean, I really think like make your diet like 75% 
you know, whole foods, foods that you right. know, foods that you get with like little processing and then 25% for being, you know, wild and crazy. Yeah. Save the world. Last question, uh, which is, this is my favorite question. What is your restaurant pet peeve? Oh, okay. I've got two. I'm sure I've got more. Give them to me. The waiter filling up my water glass every five minutes. The overfilling of the water. Oh, the worst. Interesting. Mostly mostly we get the underfilling of the water. Oh, no. No. When they're there every second, I'm like, you're interrupting my flow. Yes. Um, <laughs> also, the busboy trying to take my plate away before I'm done. Like, you know when it's got all that sauce in the bottom? Oh. You're like totally keeping it. Yeah. And then That's... I have to look like some kind of piggy because I'm like, don't take my plate. Right? Oh, don't you don't look like a piggy. You are you're laying down the law, which you should. <laughs> don't feel shame around it. I think it's uh it's okay to uh to put servers in their place when they do stuff like that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, Dan. I'll give you the pass. You can tell them that Dan said it's okay. <laughs> Good. Well, Larissa, this is fascinating stuff. And um I'm halfway through your book. I'm loving it. It is awesome. blowing every page blows my mind. Uh it's called Technically Food. Uh tell all the people where they can find you. Oh, thanks, Dan. Um, I'm so glad you're liking it. So the book is available wherever your books are sold. Um, I say go to bookshop.org if you want to support independent booksellers. Or go uh, to your local, here we go. Go to your local bookstore. Save, save the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be earnest. I can't be earnest. <laughs> or go to your physical retail store. Even better. Um, yeah, do not like, go to Amazon, which is just the most convenient, easy thing ever. <laughs> Don't do it. If you like my voice and you want to listen to it, buy it on Audible. Um, I have a weekly newsletter that goes out every Friday that's free and you can sign up on my website, which is just my name, larissazimbaroff.com. And I'm often writing about these things. My most recent article is about lab-made chocolate for the Atlantic. Oh, so cool. I cannot wait. I'm such a chocolate addict. I cannot wait to, to read that. Um, awesome. awesome. And what are your socials? Oh, at, uh, at lzimbaroff on Twitter at technically.food on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok is where all of my crazy food reviews go. These kids and their TikToks, that's where they're doing it. Um, awesome. Thank you again, Larissa. I appreciate it. This was fucking fascinating. Thank you, Dan. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan was produced by Andrew Steven and edited by Jordan Aaron. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music is Beautiful Food by Idan, and the interstitial music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really important to us, guys. Please do it. If you want more Green Eggs and Dan action, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at StandUpDan. Also, we have a YouTube page where you can actually see me and my guests going through their fridge in addition to other videos. Just type in Green Eggs and Dan in YouTube. Like and subscribe, please. We need a lot of subscribers on that page. You will really enjoy it. It's a very fun element of the show. A Sonic Universe. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.